Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Let's start the new year on the right foot financially. Many of us have made our New Year's resolutions. It's time to act on them. And according to a new Forbes survey, 40% of Americans want to improve their finances this year. Well, who wouldn't want more money in the bank? But just how do you do that? That's what we're talking about this hour with two guests. And I want to hear from you as well. Do you have a goal to make or save money in the new year? What have you learned that's helped you advocate for your own worth in your workplace? And it resulted in a bigger paycheck. What challenges do you have around making money and keeping money in the bank? The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651-227-6000. Or call us at 800-242-2828. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to check in with my colleague, Chris Farrell, and get an update on what's going on with the economy. Chris is NPR's senior economics contributor and joins us most Mondays. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year, 2024. I know. I want some better financial news this year. I'm just going to tell you. I want to hear better news about the economy. Okay. So (laughs) I I think I can give you some good news about this economy. If you think about it, um, where we are right now, the economy is continuing to grow. Mm -hmm. Inflation rates are coming down. And the job market remains relatively healthy. So that's if you, great. If you're kind of sum, summing up this economy, you say, "Look, it's kind of, it's on a path for solid, sustainable growth." That's good. That sounds yes. great. So and that is good. And I, I pay attention. You know, economists are now saying that the much predicted recession for 2023. Never happened. I remember around the same time last year, the consensus forecast was that a recession was almost inevitable. I know. It was, uh, there was, you know, 60%, 70%, 80%, 100% chance of, of a recession. And, well, as we know, it never really came to pass. And, you know, there was, there was this assumption that, look, inflation's out of control. The Fed is hiking interest rates. The Fed has a history of going too far for too long. And in order to bring inflation rates down, we need to have a higher unemployment rate. I mean, that was the basic story. And what they didn't do was pay enough attention to actually pioneering research comes out of University of Minnesota, the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. And what they look back in history and what they found are plenty of episodes where inflation can come down without having a higher unemployment rate. A lot of it has to do with the credibility of the Federal Reserve. And quite frankly, if you look at professional investors, they never lost their faith that the Federal Reserve would be able to lean against inflation. They criticized it. They complained about it. But they actually never lost that faith. And then, of course, we had the whole supply chain issue and the supply chains got better. So we're now in an environment where inflation is coming down. So you say the job market is healthy, but... How healthy? How good is the job market? Boy, I tell you, this is really something. I mean, last year it created 2.7 million jobs. And although that's down from the, the, the pace from 2022, the, pre, the prior year, you know, the unemployment rate never breached 4%. Wage gains, you know, are reasonably healthy. And if we just look at December's report, you know, the last mm-hmm. month of the year, um, economy added 216,000 jobs and the unemployment rate 3.7%. So I just want to take a step back for the moment to talk about this job market. And Mark Zandi of Moody's Analytics said that seldom in the history of the U.S. has a job market been this good. And I think he's right. I mean, we're creating lots of jobs. Uh, gains are averaging close to 200000 per month. 
pretty broad-based. Jobless rate has been below 4% for two years, and that hasn't been the case since uh, the 1960s. And the unemployment rate, whether you're looking at uh, ethnicity, gender, uh, education levels, the unemployment rate is down for all groups in our in our society. And we're starting to see some improvements in productivity growth, which is essentially you, know, you do more with less, mm-hmm. which really allows for greater wealth creation. Uh, and one of the reasons it feeds into the topic that we're talking about today, remember, the great, the big quit, the great resignation. Yes. Well, one of the things that came out of that is that people left jobs where they may have been unhappy, wasn't the right job for them, and they got a better job, a better fit. And that helps improve your productivity. So the big the big quit resulted in a better fit? Yes. I love absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm happy for a lot of and this is personal to me now because as you know, I have a son who's graduating from college in May yes. with a degree in software engineering and he's looking for a job. And um, I'm hopeful that there that things are improving. Well, and also uh, another factor is feeding productivity, which would help your son and other people like him, which is that the investments in information technology, they've been strong. And of course, they're even picking up now with artificial intelligence and remote work. So again, this is all feeding into an economy that really has a prospect of greater wealth creation than we've seen in quite a long period of time. And inflation pressures have eased. It's looking better. It's looking better. So, you know, we're going to get on Thursday, we get the consumer price index number. Friday, we get the producer price index number. Uh, The consumer price index is you and me. If you think about the producer price index, it's more like what companies are dealing with. Mm -hmm. Both numbers are expected to come in, you know, again, the story about inflation rates are coming down. Something we've talked a lot about uh, is housing. Uh, Let's touch on the outlook (laughs) of housing. What are we seeing right now and what may the next uh, year hold? Okay. So we all know, you know, when you talk about economics, supply and demand. Mm -hmm. Well, when you talk about this housing market, I think the way to look at it is demand is just strong. I mean, that's just out there. Uh, And the real big question has been supply. We're starting to see the impact of greater supply on the rental side of the market, where rental rates, leases are getting better for for people who are renting. On the housing side, a lot of it's just going to depend on how much housing is built, how much housing comes on the market. So it's going to be a decent year, but at its core, the housing market just doesn't have enough supply to make it available to more people. So housing is going to be a frustrating market for a lot of people. And we're still seeing, you know, a lot of unaffordable uh, rental housing and homes uh, affecting right. many people, particularly those in, in urban areas. That's right. And, you know, and that really it's and a lot of it is for people, you know, have good jobs mm-hmm. and, you know, full time jobs. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, they've seen with the increases in home prices, uh, they've just seen the housing market run away from them. And uh, I see you have some good news on the fiscal front, too. Good news uh, in the sense that it looks like Congress will avoid a shutdown. Okay, so people can't see me because we're on the radio, but if they could, they'd see that I have my fingers crossed, okay? (laughs) So we're hoping on this. Congressional leaders, they did reach an agreement for a framework to keep the federal government funded until the end of the fiscal year. And basically, it's the same agreement that they'd had before that Kevin McCarthy and President Biden had agreed on. So it's essentially the same agreement that got by, uh, McCarthy uh, kicked out of the uh, uh, majority House Speaker a mm-hmm. role. So more than likely, this goes through because enough Democrats will probably vote for it in order to avoid a shutdown. But again, 
Let's just keep our fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. <laughs> and looking back uh, on 2023, Chris, what do you think was uh, the big economic story of the year? Okay, so there's a lot of competition. Artificial intelligence, as we just mentioned, uh, you know, inflation, and are we going to have a soft landing? You know, the housing market is a major issue. But looking back, I really think the economic story, the most important economic story of 2023 is the failings in our caregiving system. and uh, Child care? Child care. Mm-hmm. Elder care, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, you know the amounts of of, of uh, the cost of child care just keeps going up and absorbing more and more income. Uh, we el- did a talk show on that, and did. this this national figure that monthly payments for child care rose by thirty percent since twenty nineteen nationally. Thirty percent, a little better here in Minnesota, but still, that's just. It's, it's incredible. And then AARP came out and they recently updated uh, family caregivers. Um, they provided about an estimated $600 billion in unpaid care mm-hmm. when you put a you know dollar figure on it, unpaid, unpaid care. And that's up from $470 billion in 2017. So again, this system that we have, and we had their free form proposals out there, Angela, but they've gone nowhere. Mm-hmm. And yet this is something that all families, whether you're dealing with aging parents or you're dealing with young children, you know, our caregiving system, we don't have a system. Mm -hmm. We have a ad hoc patchwork quilt that is frayed. Well, Chris, we will uh, continue checking in with you on Monday mornings. I love these conversations uh, because there are a lot of headlines out there, and I love hearing you breaking it down for us. Uh, Thank you for getting us up to speed. And I want you to stay with us uh, for the hour, Chris, because we're going to get into something that's a little bit more personal, uh, a personal conversation about money. I want to bring in a guest who can help us with some advice on how to make more money and how to save more money. And I want to ask you, you know, do you feel like it's time to ask for a raise at work? Do you have an opportunity to earn more in your current job if you were maybe doing a different position? Are you giving serious thought to looking for a new job that pays more uh, at a different place? Or are you very aware that you could simply just be saving more money if you did a few things differently? As we talk about this, I want to hear from you. What challenges do you have around making more money and keeping money in the bank. The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828. In the studio with us, we have Amy Lindgren. Amy is the president and founder of Prototype Career Services, and her career advice column runs in the Pioneer Press every Sunday. Good morning, Amy. Good to see you. Angela, good morning, Chris. Hello. Can't wait to make people richer in 2024. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, we are all listening here, Amy. Uh, you're a longtime career coach and career development really is so important. But, you know, asking for a raise, that can be very uncomfortable. It can really feel weird to openly state that you deserved uh, to be recognized for the work that you do and that you deserve a raise. So first of all, what should people just know about that fear and that discomfort? That it's inevitable. I, I mean, I, I don't really know very many people in all the years I've been coaching this uh, who have not felt trepidation, fear, concern that they were going to harm the relationship with the person they're negotiating with. Even folks who are uh, solid, experienced negotiators, they get that edge before they uh, go on stage, so to speak. And so first thing first, just know you're going to feel uncomfortable. That's the game. Mm-hmm. And are people getting raises? Yeah. 
Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I tried to check the statistics, and I'll tell you what, there are so many different surveys, and some of them seem to be talking to like six people, and some seem to talk to 65. And some of them, you know, I, I really don't feel comfortable presenting a number. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, though, in, in my coaching, nearly everybody that asks for a raise gets one. And it's not because I'm such a great coach, although I am. But it is more about the fact that they're preparing. They're they're figuring out their argument. They're creating a strategy. They're heading into the conversation with some reasons for why they want and need that. that uh, not so much why they need it personally, but why it's time for them to have that raise. So clients of yours who have success stories, I took the advice, I got the raise. What happens then? Do they notice anything differently in the workplace or in the relationships with the people they had to to deal with to get the raise? Yeah, that's really a good question because it's one of the things that they're afraid of is how it might change the relationship. And I don't want to gender everything, but I find that women, my women clients express this more often. Um, they're, they're afraid that something is going to change. And, and in fact, uh, I have had people come back and tell me that, in fact, they got the raise, but things were different with their boss at that point. Different how? Uh, one woman in particular stands out for me, and she said that it, she, it just felt icy uh, in the room. You know, she felt as if her boss was, I don't know, distancing from her. And what is your advice to <laughs> well, someone who feels that? One of the things I pointed out was that maybe that what she thought was distance or iciness was respect, that mm-hmm. the boss was giving her more space because she was due more space. And that's that's a sign of moving up, not not being pushed out. And many people fall into this where they, because we spend so much time with colleagues that we become friendly with colleagues or maybe even friendly with our bosses. Mm-hmm. But that can be problematic when it's time to ask for a raise. Well, it certainly makes, it mixes things up in people's heads, that's mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, they, they feel as if the relationship is key to something else. And Business is business, and not to act too cold-blooded about it, but it's just, in the end, the boss has got numbers to meet and has a family to feed and has other mm-hmm. bosses to speak to. And so that's the, that out of respect for that boss, friend or otherwise, the, the person asking for the raise needs to come prepared for the conversation, not imagine that they're going to rely on the friendship or that the friendship should matter in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Chris, uh, are people getting raises uh, nationally? What are you seeing or hearing? Yes, they have been getting raises. I mean, this has been a period of time coming out of the pandemic where really we, we have seen in many industries pretty decent wage increases. But one of the things you're mentioning about the data being uh, all over the place, one of the, the things that is consistent in the data is that you get a much better wage increase if you leave your employer yes. than if you stay. And I think that drives a lot of people crazy. Why do I have to leave right. to actually get what I'm worth? Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there's a reason for that. There's a couple of reasons. Well, and this plays to the strategy of asking for a raise internally because, you know, that's that's those the person leaving when they don't get it. Um, but one of the pressures that the, the boss has is compression, wage compression. If they give a certain person, uh, uh, well, if they've got people coming in the door who are asking for more money. If they give this person a raise, other people in the organization or in the department may want to raise. I mean, compression competition, I'm kind of jumbling those two terms. But the boss has got that whole picture that they're looking at, and that's a problem. It has been my entire career that this has been the case, that people move up by moving out, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. But I've, I've talked to uh, people who have left their jobs for new jobs because it, they were offered huge raises, and they truly were grieving 
the loss of the other job. Like, I liked my old job, but mm-hmm. it just didn't make sense to stay when I could be making more money elsewhere. And I think that's a lot of, you know, a lot of listeners are going to remember we had conversations about the great resignation, the big quit, just as we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. And, you know, part of that was being driven by the need for more money, that I could get more money right. by leaving. But part of it was also being driven by that need. You know, I need a better job. I need a better mix. I need a, a different situation to get into. And need for many reasons, because we talked about childcare expenses, groceries, so many things being more expensive. They really did need to make more money. Um, and, and Chris, do we do, do workers have more leverage now in this moment when it comes to pay negotiations? Yes, they have a lot more leverage for one simple reason. And there's a lot of nuance to this, but if you just think about the backdrop to uh, your negotiation, we're in an environment where employers are looking for workers, and particularly they're looking for qualified workers. And so that helps yeah, you. We like qualified workers. <laughs> that yes, really we do helps like qualified you. people. Yes, that really <laughs> helps you in your negotiation. It's much different than if you think about the period of time, almost two, three decades, where there's a line of workers out the door, mm-hmm. and you were then having in the backdrop, your economic backdrop, you were essentially in a weaker position because it was much easier for an employer to say, well, I'm not going to pay you that because I can find there's a line of people out the door. Now, employer can't say there's a line of people out the door because guess what? There isn't. There isn't. All right. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking about making more money, saving more money uh, in 2024 in this new year. And I want to know, I want to hear from you. Are, are you struggling to prove your value in your workplace? Are you ready to ask for, demand, a raise? Are you worried about saving enough money to reach your financial goals? What have you struggled the most with when it comes to making or saving money? Uh, give us a call at 651 227 6000 or call us at 800-242-2828. I, I want to hear your stories. Have, have you successfully asked for a raise? Or did you ask and did not go so well? Tell us about it uh, and share some advice with us as we talk about this. Uh, Amy, um, as a career counselor, uh, you, you have shared that this can be very uncomfortable. Uh, people may have fear about asking for a raise or being very clear about vocalizing, this is what I'm worth and the value I bring to the company. So what should we be thinking about before we head into that conversation so that we're ready for it. Thanks. That's a, that's a great question because there's really a process. And when people can count three, five steps, you, you know, you can mix them up a bit. But one of the primary things is to know your own goals. And you'd mentioned a minute ago about people who grieve leaving the job because they loved the job, but it didn't make sense to stay. Sometimes it does make sense to stay. I mean, if you have an offer for something better, I'm not a big fan of leveraging, you know, like I've got this other offer, you know, better meet it. But to say, hey, I'm getting I'm getting some some contacts from recruiters and I want to stay. What mm-hmm. what would it take to get me to X dollars? Because knowing your own goals, that's that's the first step of the process. Knowing your numbers might I mean the goal will include things like I want to work with a certain kind of people, I want to have a certain title or a certain level of authority, but then it's also going to include a number of some sort. So knowing your numbers is a second step in the process. And sometimes you need to look around to see what others are being paid in order to identify whether your number is near the top in the middle, because that's going to matter for this employer. You you know your employer, and if they can manage a top number or not is going to be a problem if you didn't do your research. How do you do your research? I mean, we should do do the research. And that means what? Like finding out from my position and uh, what people here make, but also looking at the 
competing companies mm-hmm. or, or similar jobs? Like what are those salaries? That typically? would be good advice. Yeah, mm-hmm. the internal and external research as best as you can, understanding that there's a lot that you, you, you have to extrapolate. But one thing you can do is take a look at postings. Postings are a very small percentage of actual positions open. But nevertheless, the postings that have salary noted will give you some aspect. You've got places like um, salary.com or other websites that tell you, give you some range of, of information. There's Glassdoor, which is also another website where if you uh, subscribe, then you can have access to the full range of information and your company might appear there, which is very interesting. Your colleagues and coworkers may have actually already posted their salaries, which is uh, fun to see. They won't have their names on it. And I, I've always wondered about those those websites. If, if the information is accurate, have you found them to be or, or what's <laughs> What's your feeling on that? Uh, well, I, it's not so much about whether it's accurate because I feel as if that's almost impossible to tell, but it's whether it's relevant mm-hmm. because uh, just because somebody else is paying X dollars doesn't mean that your boss can or will pay X dollars. So we're, we're always back at, back in the same pond, you know, fishing around with this particular employer. And Chris, what advice do you have about how to do the research you do before you jump into a conversation? Well, so part of it, and you know, off of what Amy was saying about, you know, look at the numbers, look at your household finances, because I think one of the reasons why you want to have savings, why you want to keep your debt level down, is that when you do go into these negotiations, you're not worried about, well, what if this goes bad? What if this goes sour? What if this just you know, I'm going to have this great conversation and it just does not work out. Most of the time, probably that's not the situation. But again, I do think that if you your household finances are in order, then that sort of helps you during this negotiation. So if you're thinking about it, and usually it's not like one or two weeks and all of a sudden you're going to do it. You've been thinking about this. You've been mulling it over. You think about your strategy. Look at your household finances and to the extent that you can get them in order so that when you go in, you're not stressed out that way. And is that something that you share with your boss? Like, look, this I've done my done the math here, and this is not adding up, and this is why I, I am asking for this raise. So Amy would know better. I mean, my sense would be you're just saying, look, I'm worth it. I'm worth it to this company. This is the work that I do, and uh, and I've been taking on more responsibility. And in fact, I'm taking the responsibilities of a manager, but you're not paying me a manager's salary. And I think now it's time to acknowledge the role that I'm playing. You know, what you just demonstrated, Chris, that's, uh, I, I try to help people identify or work with their style. That is a direct style. And that's, that's a very effective style, particularly for a person who is direct by nature, because you, you hit all of the high points there. What, what's happening? You're, you're taking on these other duties. You're, you're doing a manager's role without a manager's title or pay. So you hit all of those high points. You bring it forward. Another style is a collaborative style where you say, um, hey, you know, um, but always in a meeting. You don't just do this in the hall standing around. So I need to set a meeting boss. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about my position and where it's headed. You sit down in that meeting and in the collaborative style, you might say, you know, I wanted to make sure that you're up to speed or, with what I've been doing and how things have changed and so-and-so left. And I um, will lay out this information and I'll just tell you where we're headed. I'm going to be asking for a raise and I want to know what it'll take to get me there. But let me first lay out. So that's a collaborative style. I think there's any number of ways that an individual can work inside of their own 
relationship with that boss, but always, again, bringing forward those points that Chris was elaborating on. You know, we're going to get into uh, searching for a new job and negotiating a salary in a, in a new job. But first, uh, I want to ask this question, you know, is is there any indication we should really think twice before leaving our current jobs? Uh, you know, we've seen so many job cuts across so many industries over the last uh, couple of years, even the last few months. Um, what does that mean, though, for for, you know, like job scarcity? Does it depend on the industry? Like, what should we be thinking about? Like, should I really be thinking about leaving? I'd like to just grab a piece of that question. Um, Regardless of what the numbers might say, because job scarcity is a real thing, although it's very difficult to identify specific to this organization. But I, I always will ask somebody, "What? Let's start with what would take to fix your job." Um, and just, and I always say, I'm not going to try to talk mm. you into it, but I want to know if just, just close your eyes and dream for a minute. If one thing were different, that would make you stay. What would it be? And often it's something that we can fix. And then I'll say, I think that's doable. Do you want to? Do you want to give that a shot? Do you want to take a three month hiatus from the idea of, of going elsewhere, you know, and take, and take a look at fixing this thing first? So when you ask about, should we think twice about going off to another job? I always ask people to think twice. Mm. Any thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I really agree with that because a lot of times, you know, have you expressed your ambitions? Are people aware of, of what you're doing? And you're frustrated. Right. Does right? your boss know? Does what your you've boss been doing? know? So, and, you know, as you're saying, so that is, I think that I've been is, doing Amy's job and Chris's job. I exactly. just didn't say anything. I just assumed you saw I was doing their job. <laughs> and thank you. Right? But no, right? You got to yeah. make sure right. that they know what you're doing. And the other thing is, we all have this. The grass is greener on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you have to do sort of skeptical research when you're looking at where else you're going to go. This isn't going to solve all your problems. And it may bring more money, but does it bring greater satisfaction? So again, I would just mm-hmm. like, you know, again, look at your current situation. And when you're looking elsewhere, it's not, this is an argument against going anywhere, but it is have that skeptical mindset. Because remember, every organization is quirky. Every organization right does something not well. I mean, that's just the nature. And has the same personalities, exactly. right? Exactly. Right, right. Uh, let's take some phone calls from listeners. Uh, again, we're talking about making more money, saving more money in this new year. And I want to know, uh, are you struggling to prove your value in your workplace? Are you thinking about asking for a raise? Or what have you struggled with the most when it comes to saving money? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's go to Eaton Prairie and talk to Alex, who's on the phone this morning. Good morning, Alex. What did you want to tell us? Good morning. Um, so you also might hear my daughter in the back, which is pertinent to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not ask for a raise, um, but I, I knew that saving money was going to be important for my family. So instead, I approached my boss and asked for the ability to do a hybrid um, work from home and work at the at the school where I work. Um, and my boss was extremely supportive and extremely accommodating um, which allowed me to pull my daughter out of daycare and save our family about $14,000 a year because, as oh, yes. you were discussing earlier, mm-hmm. the, the cost of daycare is incredibly expensive. Um, and that was something that she was very supportive of. And so it's been really wonderful for me to be able to stay at home with my daughter, who's nine months old. Um, we've all been healthier this winter. Um, I've been able to be part mom, part part of, you know, employee. Um, and it's just been a really wonderful supportive situation. So it's as if you gave yourself a $14,000 a year raise. 
Exactly. Because you were saving that in child care. Okay. Thank you. That's uh, Alex in, uh, in Eden Prairie. Uh, another phone call uh, in Minneapolis. We have Sharon on the phone. And Sharon, what do you want to tell us as we talk about uh, making more and saving more money this year? Well, I'm coming from the other end of things. I think uh, city councils and legislatures make decisions that um, exclude a lot of people. My daughter worked for nonprofit, and, oh, several years ago when St. Paul raised the, the wages from to $15 an hour citywide, mm-hmm. they excluded nonprofits. And here she was, um, her and her husband both were taking care of vulnerable people, uh, very res- responsible as you can get um, a position and very serious. And uh, she was making at the time uh, a lot less because nonprofits were excluded from wage increases that lawmakers make for some reason. Also, her nonprofit was very top heavy. The supervisor made quite a bit of money or, you know, the head of the program. And here are the workers taking care of vulnerable adults we're making very low wages compared to what the city mandated for others. Okay, we're just excluding nonprofits mm-hmm. from a lot of decisions. And, Sharon, and I, I have to tell you, I, I I really don't know the details of of what uh, St. Paul passed, uh, and if if nonprofits were excluded from that from the minimum wage. Uh, but you know, the, the point that uh, we heard our, our previous caller make about uh, asking for an opportunity to work from home and that greatly reduced her childcare expenses. Um, is that something that's feasible to ask for a change in your job so it reduces your expenses? Have you seen that or do you think that's effective, Amy? Uh, you know, what, uh, Sharon, one thing I would I would say, although, you know, perhaps this situation has already passed and been resolved, but um, for any listener, if, if you're in an organization that seems organizationally unable to, to meet your financial goals for whatever reason, it is a good time to take and, – and it's literally a good time. Like our, our market is strong for this right now, as Chris was pointing out. But it's also in that person's career a good time to look at other options. At, and, and even for someone whose heart is within the, within the nonprofit sector, there are nonprofits that pay very competitively with for-profits. So just uh, figuring out which ones those are are and moving along. And, and I don't mean to say that that's a difficult thing. It is. The nonprofits have a salary, um, have salaries posted and published a lot more often than the for-profits. And so I, I think it would be time to, to take a look at something else. Mm-hmm. And regarding childcare, the idea that uh, negotiating a change in your job so that you could reduce some of your household expenses. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's, that's again, knowing your goals, that's that first step. And, uh, you know, Alex pointed that out in a very lovely way about identifying what was important to her and then figuring out how to get to that. Chris? And just very quickly, you know, the one of the big changes coming out of the pandemic, and we're all aware of it, is the rise of remote work, really mm-hmm. hybrid work, like with Alex, uh, working sometimes in the office or sometimes and then sometimes you're you're at home. But it's something to put in your negotiations or your discussion, whether you're internal or whether you're going to go external, is what is your policy on hybrid work? What is your policy on remote work? Which is something I don't uh, – you might have been doing, Amy, but I don't think a whole lot of conversations before the pandemic were about remote work. And now I would think that would be something that you'd want to put Actually, there right away. Actually, a whole lot of my coaching was keep quiet on that <laughs> until after you've been made an offer, until you're close to an offer, because before the pandemic – it was a hot button thing. You know, people would say to me, I want a job where I can work 
uh, from home. And I'd say most people seem to, but it's, you know, it's like a super small percentage at that time, like one or two percent. It was ridiculously small. And so that now what we've got is it's closer to the front of the negotiation or f- the front of the, the interview process so that you could bring it up rather than wait till the till they've already fallen in love with you. Amy, I want to make sure we jump into uh, people who have made the decision. I am looking for a new job and I'm going to start this process or maybe they are in the final stages of, of landing a new job, negotiating that salary. What should people be thinking about as they uh, embark on a job search or get close to uh, sealing a deal on a job? How do you talk about the salary? Mm-hmm. Well, when you're doing an external search, theoretically, the other people don't know your numbers unless you've told them internally, you, you know, your boss knows what you're making. When you ask for a raise externally, one of the first things I tell people is to keep your numbers to yourself. We have the uh, possibility of doing that always, and yet a lot of people will just answer the question. The recruiter will say on this screening call, and how much have you been making? And the other person will open up the little blabber side of themselves and go, well, blah, blah, blah. And we know, too, that we have a new uh, state law here in Minnesota uh, that prevents employers from asking about salary history during the hiring process. So what impact do you think that will have on workers and and their career outlook? Initially, not very much. But as people start to catch on quite a bit, and and what I mean by that is that when any new law gets passed, it takes a while for everybody to get on board with it, to understand and change their habits, change their paperwork, their application forms, everything else. So we still have the onus on the candidate to not answer the question. But now they have the legal right to not answer the question if somebody asks how much they've been making. And so basically leave it at zero. Like don't talk about what you're currently making. That's not why you're there. You're talking about what you are bringing to the table now. I've got a couple of rules that I've been sharing with people for quite a while. Um, It relates to electronic applications. If the application won't advance without you putting something in, try putting in a zero because the recruiter will know that's not an accurate number. And Mm. if it won't advance even then... I say step away. Either choose a different position to go for or choose a different way to go to this company, but don't give your number. I, if, for any reason, I say don't give your numbers. And how do you know what works for you? Again, this goes back, you've done your research, you've gotten your financial house in order. You mm-hmm. you have a sense of what you need to make to mm-hmm. live the way you want to live. Mm-hmm. Right? Gen- generally, people are, are inside of a range, and, and usually they're pegging it against something they've already been making. Somebody who's been making 50 wants to make 60 or 70, even if they could get by at 50. They're, I mean, they're why, why go otherwise? And so they're they're thinking to themselves, oh, okay, um, how about if I go for something between 60 and 80? And, you know, that 80 would be a gigantic raise after 50, which, again, if the employer knows your past numbers, is very difficult to swing. If the employer knows you've been making 50 and you're asking for 80, they're going to, they're they're not going to go there. They're going to make an offer of 65, knowing that for you, that's already a big raise. And they're doing their research too. As they sit and talk with you, they have done some research and probably are guessing what you're making. Well, maybe. I, I mean, it really, that's the, that's one of the surprising things to me after all these years is how varied the expertise is on, on the interviewer's side of the table. I tell people, if you go this far with me or with any counselor and you do five to 10 hours worth of work and preparation, you might be more... Um, ready than any of the interviewers you you run into. Chris, uh, what are you seeing as as people sit down to have this salary negotiation for a new job? Uh, I think anecdotally, what I can say is that most people hate it and it's <laughs> uncomfortable and they want to ask for 80, but they kind of are intimidated to ask for 80. And so um, 
there was I was uh, interviewing the, uh, this person, and she had always worked at a fast food restaurant. And, uh, you know, you basically go in and you know what the salary is going to be. Anyway, she got her first white-collar job, and she had never negotiated for a salary. But the people in the cooperative that she lived in, they had. And so they coached her on how to negotiate Fabulous. for a salary because that's something that she had never done. And it's a skill. Mm-hmm. You were absolutely right. And that's fabulous that she reached out for help. Um, Amy, you uh, uh, placed in my hands a career success calendar. And this is a, a booklet that you've written. Mm-hmm. And it has a scenario in here uh, under negotiating your salary, uh, dealing for dollars. And I just want to <laughs> read this example. Uh, you have, uh, let's pretend the hiring manager wraps up your next interview by saying, we'd like to offer you the job. The salary starts at $32,000 a year. And you say, and there are A, B, and C options. A, $32,000. You've got to be kidding me. It's going to take a lot more to get me in the door. Option B. Really? I got the job? Well, that's great. When do I start? Or option C. Well, I'd certainly like to take the position, but before I say yes, let me talk it over with my partner. I need more information about the benefits and the employee handbook to look over. Let's talk on Tuesday. Uh, a, B, and C. What's the most common response? In B. 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 is like, really? I got the job? That's that's the... Yeah, yeah. And if it, unless it's a ridiculously low salary for their expectation, um, in which case it might revert to A. <laughs> and so is that why sometimes they'll offer the job on the spot? Because they that surprise element, and then maybe you get someone at, you know, the salary you throw out there? You know, I'd like to say yes, but again, I'm not sure mm-hmm. that, that, that people are that... I, I don't think interviewers are that clear and, and I and I mean that with all right. the respect I can right. muster. I, because I I mean they're very smart people, but in terms of having it organized in their head how they're going to trick the employee, I I don't think they may there. just be excited and just want to move ahead with the process. Yeah. But again, uh, what what's the advice? Slow it down and give it some thought and do some research. Right. There, that's one of my my uh, rules. So one of the rules is keep your numbers to yourself. Another rule is uh, control the timing. So when they offer you a job directly from the interview, you've already got leverage. You know that they they need somebody, and and they need that person now, and they want to lock you in. Control the timing by saying, "I'll come back in, to you in a day or two days, whatever you think you can." Mm. Chris and understand the benefits. So, <laughs> oh, the benefit pack. If it ha- the benefit right. pack. Let's say it comes with retirement. Well, how quickly do you, do you, do right. when does that start? You know how and. The health insurance, I mean, we all know health insurance is increasingly expensive. There's fewer offerings. So you really do want to spend time understanding the package itself. You're absolutely right. Uh, I want to get back to a previous caller who uh, was telling a story about her her daughter working for a nonprofit and some of the uh, restrictions uh, with the minimum wage requirements uh, or laws in St. Paul. Uh, and so in general, most nonprofits are covered by the minimum wage uh, requirement in St. Paul, but there are exemptions, uh, uh, for example, independent contractors. So I wanted to kind of clarify that a little bit. Uh, let's take another phone call. Uh, in St. Paul, we've got David on the line. Saint, uh, David, what do you want to tell us as we think about uh, negotiating raises, saving more, making more money? Yeah, it's just, uh, you kind of touched on it. And mm-hmm. for me, it's it's the salary's fine, but what kind of benefits are offered? And right. I think... Insurance. You know, I think that's actually a hindrance in, in why people aren't making a change or why they feel like they can't negotiate. Um, we don't have a very good universal health care system in this country. So people can't leave a job, take time off to go look for something else because these benefits are all tied to the employers. So I think the employers actually have the upper hand in this, in that sense. Mm. Um, 
Thank you. That's a David in St. Paul. The the benefit packages, the healthcare system. A lot of people. Well, I got that great insurance. Um, you know, David, I think you, this is Amy, and I think you speak for a lot of people when you say that, and, and I'm really glad you brought or it vacation up. vacation time. Yeah, right? yeah. One of the things that, that I like to coach people on is taking a look at if I were to get more money, how much money would it take to overcome a poor health care package? Or, so, in other mm-hmm. words, negotiate a high, as much money as you can if you think that the package in a second employer isn't going to meet the package you already have. But recognize that there are um, – we were talking a little bit earlier. Uh, Chris was mentioning that there are better packages now available uh, through through the state, through the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then retirement savings plans Absolutely. as well. I mean, there is such a thing as job lock. I mean, there's been a lot of economic research on that. What is job lock? So job lock is just what David was describing. You're afraid to leave your job because you don't want to lose health insurance because it's tied to your employer. But because of the rise of the exchanges, now they're not cheap, uh, but there are different gradations. There are at least more options than there were, say, ten years ago. And so the market is better. People can take a bet, can take a risk, and they can turn to the exchanges. So they can't. They they don't have to go without health insurance, which really was the risk if you went ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, another phone call as so we. Talk about making more money, saving more money, uh, negotiating a raise. Uh, 651-227-6000, the number to call. In Minneapolis, Beth is on the phone. Hi, Beth. Hey there. Hi. What you want to call. Hi. What did you want to tell us about uh, Money Matters? Oh, I love this conversation. So I, I work for an executive recruiting firm, and we were talking about different ways to check what should you earn or what should you be paying if you're an employer? And I wanted to mention a resource that hasn't been mentioned yet, potentially, um, salary guides. They're usually free. You can Google uh, Minneapolis Salary Guide or Chicago Salary Guide. Um, the firm that I work for publishes one. And what's unique about salary guides is uh, when it comes from an executive recruiting form, our, uh, firm, our number one source of data is our own internal database, which would tell you when our recruiters place somebody in this role, uh, this is what we're typically placing them at. And we separate the data by company size. So small, medium, and large companies. You were mentioning not every company is going to be able to pay what you see on Glassdoor, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to matter what their annual revenue is. What's the size of the company? Um, we also cross-check our numbers with sources like DEED, that's the Minnesota Department of Employer and Economic Development. We check um, the Illinois Department of Employment Security, so IDES, many other um, sources to check our data against some competing firms as well. Um, but yeah, that'll tell you what a recruiter would be able to place somebody of your expertise at the size company that you're going after. Thank you. That's uh, Beth of Minneapolis. So the research is happening. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I forgot to mention this when Sharon was on the call uh, mm-hmm. about her daughter nonprofits. Minnesota Council of Nonprofits also puts out a salary guide. Uh, it has in the past been available only to member organizations, but it's not hard to find somebody who works for an organization to share that with you. All right, let's take a phone call in Rochester. Uh, Jane is listening this morning. Hi, Jane. What do you want to share with us? Hi. Hi. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty, a pretty simple person. But I was raised to save money. And you were talking about the money the money side of this. And I suggest if you're trying to save money, which everybody should do no matter how much you have, mm-hmm. um, is read Dave Ramsey's book, buy his books. Um, there's a ton of websites on how to, how to live on less money, how to live frugally. Um, and the third thing is if people eat out a lot, but yet they're always broke, to quit eating out, 
you could take that money and use it on a bill every month, or you could use it to start a savings account. Mm, Yes, we haven't talked a whole lot about saving money. Thank you, uh, Jane, there in Rochester. Uh, Saving, and uh, this is one simple way, like to to sit down and look at like where the money is going. And if we picked eating out for a lot of people, you would see and maybe be surprised by how much money you're you're spending uh, eating lunch out every day or going out, you know, multiple times across the week and and spending money um, instead of cooking. Uh, any thoughts on that, Chris? So a couple of thoughts. I mean, one, I think it is really important. She said, you know, it doesn't matter how much you're making, you want to be saving. And so one of the ways to do that is to automate your savings. So $5, $10 every month goes into your every savings account. Every pay period. Every pay send period. Send it to savings. Just a certain amount of money. It doesn't have to be aggressive. And at first you'll look at that and say, what is this? But actually over time, it continues to grow. And as you get a pay, because we're talking about salary increases, as you get a salary increase, it was ten dollars. Well, now it's going to be twenty dollars, or whatever mm-hmm. numbers that that you're working with. Um, and I do think, you know, in terms of uh, what you spend your money on, you want to spend your money on things that you want to spend your money on, that you get a return, a value. You know, that's what frugality is it all about. It brings me joy. It brings me joy. <laughs> that's what you really do. Will you go talk so, to my husband when we're done? <laughs> But it, it brings me joy. So Chris said I could do it. <laughs> exactly. You can quote me on that one. Uh, but if eating out is is fun, um, well, maybe you go to – if you live in the Twin Cities, you go on University Avenue in Minneapolis on Lake Street. There's just wonderful ethnic restaurants, and they don't cost that much. Yeah, uh, not, not all restaurants are expensive, right? Exactly. Or – you may just have more potlucks with because you want to get together with friends. You want to you don't want to be cooking for everybody, but you get together. So, think cre- about creative ways. If eating out is important to you, think of creative ways to, to lower it. the cost of that bill. But also, to your words, uh, Angela, get your joy. <laughs> Amy, <laughs> I have one other quick thing about getting your joy. I'm going to go counterculture on this, not because this is the best answer, but it's another answer. And that uh, the book "Your Money or Your Life" is a classic from the the 90s, and I'm I'm blanking on the author. But, Amy Domini. Oh, say it again. Oh no, it's uh, Vicky Robbins. Nope. Nope. Okay, I'm wrong. <laughs> but in a, here's here's the quick thing. Uh, thinking about how many hours each thing in your life takes in terms of the workplace, like a, a, in order to have this, it cost me this because the only thing that's non-negotiable is the number of hours. You, you know, you only get 24 in a day. So the idea being, if you translate your wage into hours for that you have to work for each thing in your in your life, mm-hmm. maybe you start taking things out of your life, or maybe you just change it all together and. You know, sell your assets and go traveling, you know, and live day by day. I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying it's one of the con- counterculture options that goes in a different direction from where we've been. And Chris, you literally, you've written a book uh, called The New Frugality uh, about consuming less and saving more. And uh, in our last minute, like, what are some of the mistakes that you see people making the most when it comes to saving money? So I think probably the biggest mistake people make is that they don't budget. It's not so much the saving the money. It's understanding what's coming in and what's going out and where it's going. And once you have that anchor, mm-hmm. then you can decide, okay, how much can I actually save here? And then again, as I say, make it automatic. Make it simple. Life is busy. It's hard. we got a lot of things to keep in mind. Savings is one of those things you can make automatic. 
All right. Well, I, I want to thank uh, uh, both of you for your time today, your advice, your expertise, and thank our listeners for calling in with your questions and advice as well as we talk about uh, making more and saving more this year. We've been talking with Amy Lindgren, the president and founder of Prototype Career Services. A career advice column writes that she writes appears every Sunday in the Pioneer Press as well. And Chris Farrell is here, our senior economics contributor for NPR News. Today's conversation was produced by Gretchen Brown. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk Talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.